where the New Jerusalem is not their home. They're, they're, they're coming to it. They're making pilgrimages to it. They're allowed to enter. They're saved. But they're you know, living on the earth during the new, the new earth, the new heavens, and so on. And some of them are kings. What does that mean? Well, it could mean that some of these folks who were very faithful to the Lord during, we'll say, the, the uh, tribulation period, right? There's a lot of people who are going to get saved during the tribulation period. They're going to be persecuted and tortured tremendously and a lot of them most of them well they're all going to actually go to their death being faithful to the lord and so they're going to be rewarded during this new phase of creation and they could very well be given positions of authority as kings on the earth of course they're nothing they know that they're subordinate to the king of kings and lord of lords and so they bring their glory into the city to lay it at the feet of jesus because he's the real king that we all worship right so I don't know, this is speculation. You know, the more you read this, you, the more you're thinking, Lord, you know, it, I'm having a hard time comprehending all of this. You know, we have this image in our mind that when the eternal state comes in, the new Jerusalem, we're going to live in that, all of us, and it's going to be great. But now we read about people living on the earth, and there's kings, and there's nations, and it's like, Lord, I, you know, I'm having a hard time getting my mind around all this. Well, you know, God's word is true. I mean, we're going to see when it happens. Uh, it's going to all make perfect sense at that time, all right? Um, but it just does kind of beg the question, what is the eternal state going to be like? Now, we're going to read next time as we finish the book, it seems like there's going to be time in the eternal state. Because there's the tree of life in the New Jerusalem, and it bears different fruits every month, each month bearing a different fruit. That's interesting. Is that simply a metaphor? I don't know why God would call it months if they weren't real. I don't know. Unless he's just talking about cycles. And there's without time, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't pretend to understand it all. But it's just interesting to think about what this eternal state is really going to be like. We know one thing. The New Jerusalem is going to be a very diverse city. And yet completely harmonious. And everyone will be at one with each other. Isn't it, won't it be wonderful to finally see God's people totally united as one? Isn't it sad when you see Christians who really do love the Lord, but were raised in areas where there's a lot of prejudice and things, and so there's always that separation, you know what I'm saying? I heard a story um, after the Civil War. Of course, our nation was very divided after the Civil War, and uh, Christians tended to congregate in churches where there were white churches and black churches and so on. And there was one particular white church, true story, 
where it came time for communion, and one black man had walked in. And when the communion began, at those days they used to walk up and they used to kneel in the front there and pray before they received communion. And um, nobody would kneel with this guy. And so finally, a tall man got up, white man, walked up to the front, knelt by him, put his arm around him, both took communion together. That man was Robert E. Lee, very devoted Christian. He set an example. And I think it's an example that we all need to learn from, that in God's family, there are people from every tribe and nation and tongue and, you know, language. But we are all one in Christ. We know that positionally. Unfortunately, practically, it doesn't always work its way out that way in our, in our practical lives. But in the new heaven, uh, the new Jerusalem, you're going to have a city that's truly diverse and yet undivided. There's going to be total harmony and love in the city. Verse 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night where? There. That doesn't necessarily mean there won't be any night at other places on the new earth. I mean, it doesn't mean the earth won't be somehow revolving, rotating, and that you're going to have areas on the earth where there's going to be some darkness, some night. It just says for sure that there won't be any night in the New Jerusalem because the Lord is going to be living there and the Lord's glory is going to be radiating constantly. So, you know, it just says, verse 25, that there shall be no night there. It doesn't necessarily say there won't be any night anywhere else in the New Earth. And some, again, some believe that the New Jerusalem is going to be the primary source of light, not the sun or the moon. The New Jerusalem, some believe, is going to be the primary source of light for the whole Earth and, again, may even orbit the Earth, even in the eternal state. So, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Well, last two verses. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Again, that's a throwback to verse 24. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, don't misread verse 27. It does not mean that such people will threaten to come into the city. You know, again, there's gates, but they're never closed. Why? Because, you know, there's never a problem. When it says that there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, which, by the way, is the official registry of heaven and the city of the uh, New Jerusalem. Uh, it's just simply saying, though, that once the eternal state is set up, once God has judged all unbelievers and Satan himself and cast them into the lake of fire, where they're going to spend eternity, well, verse 7 and 8 of chapter 21, remember we read this? He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And part of the things they're going to inherit is, of course, the, the uh, right to live in the new city. And I will be as God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so God has separated humanity forever. Unbelievers are going to be spending eternity in the lake of fire, in the outer darkness. And then you have the city of light. Well, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So all God did was give them what they wanted. He didn't want them to spend eternity in darkness 
in a place of continual purging because Jesus died to purge them of their own sins. But they refuse that. And so they have to pay for their own sins then because they've refused God's provision. And so they're going to be spending eternity in darkness. There are, as Henry Morris points out, some stars that burn, but their light is not seen with the naked eye. It's kind of a dark fire. And I would imagine that God has got a planet out there, a star. That's what a star is, like a fire. That is burning, and yet there's no light given off. And so they spend eternity in that horrible place, but in the city of New Jerusalem. Only the righteous are allowed to enter. Only the holy and the pure, the redeemed. And by no means shall anything that defiles ever enter it, because everything that could defile it has been cast into the lake of fire. So there's a separation. Two destinations. People don't realize. We talk about eternity. We talk about trying to comprehend eternity, you know. And people think, well, eternity, that's, wow, you know, and we've gone through Revelation, and we've looked at human redemptive history, then we've looked at Christ's coming and the whole thousand-year millennial kingdom, and now we're into eternity. People don't realize that eternity, although it seems very far away, is really only a heartbeat away. I mean, eternity for the individual is only a heartbeat away. People don't realize that, that they think they have time. Of course, that's the biggest lie the devil could ever has ever whispered in somebody's ear. There's time. I know that guy at work's been telling you about Jesus. He's telling you about the fact you need to receive Jesus. There's time. Don't you want to do a few things first? And that's what the devil does. He whispers in people's ears and tells them there's no rush. You've got time. After you get this promotion, or after you get this worked out, or you acquire that house, or whatever it might be, then you can think about giving your life to Jesus. All the while, the devil's trying to kill you. Eternity is a very, very long time. And there'll be no changes in eternity. Uh, Chapter 22 contains the words, Let him who is defiled be defiled still. Let him who is righteous be or pure be pure still. The idea is that there's no changes in eternity. Whatever you decide right now is going to determine the rest of eternity for you. And that's why it's so important, while there's still time, today is the day of salvation. God doesn't say next week is the week of salvation, or next month, or in the spring, because tomorrow was not promised to anybody. That's why today you still are breathing. There's still time. You might not make it through the night. We might not make it home. There might be a car accident. The thing about life is none of us knows when it's going to end. And that's why we have to, while we're still breathing, make a decision for Jesus Christ. Because if you die without Christ, that is it. There is no, God, can I have another chance? Uh, God, just give me five more minutes. No, it's over. And it's over forever. So... This is a, really an exhortation that warns the present readers reading this book. The only way to participate in the future city is to turn your life over to the Lamb now, that he might write it in the book of, his book of life. And uh, you might enter someday 
into that city. Revelation chapter 22. Now, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, is actually a continuation of chapter 21. And as we came to chapter 21, as we've already said, we have moved from time into eternity, where we're going to be living forever in the new heavens and on the new earth. However, as we've already seen, most of the focus of chapter 21 is on the new Jerusalem. John calls it the great city. It's the joy of the whole earth. And he sees it coming down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. And John is so taken with this city. He begins to describe it in great detail. He tells us it's quite a large city. Uh, a cube measuring about 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high, and 1,500 miles deep. He tells us the walls are 216 feet thick. It has 12 gates, three to the north, three to the south, three to the east, and three to the west, each gate carved out of a single pearl. And John tells us the city is sitting on 12 foundations, each one made up of a different kind of precious stone, and he lists them in verses 19 and 20. He also tells us the walls of the city are crystal clear like diamonds, and the city itself, along with its streets, are made up of gold, pure gold, so pure that it is transparent like glass. And not only all of that, but right in the middle of it is God Almighty, who radiates with his glory, lighting the city up like a giant sun right there, shooting that light through those beautiful glass, you know, like diamond glass uh, walls of the city. Uh, of course, the prism effect, shooting brilliant colored lights, I'm convinced, out into outer space. I mean, when, you know, when we're traveling, okay, the universe, you're going to see this thing radiating from deep space, I'm convinced. The glory of God is just going to light it up. Well, then we read, starting in verse 22, John says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun nor of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. The gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there is no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, chapter 22 continues John's description of the city. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, starting in verse 1 of chapter 22 uh, and moving through verse 5, we move from the outside of the city. As you imagine now, John has been looking and seeing the city from uh, a ways away. Remember, God took him a far way away from the city, put him on a high mountain because the thing is so big. The city is so large. He had to be to get a, a vantage point to describe it. And now it's like the Spirit brings them right into the city, and He gives us a description of what's going on inside the city. And as we're brought into the gates of the city, as John describes it, it's like a beautiful garden, which is kind of reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. 
In fact, the Garden of Eden had four rivers that flowed through it. This one has only one that flows right through the center of the New Jerusalem. Uh, there are some questions, though, that come to mind immediately, such as, is this river wet? I mean, is it made up of H2O? In other words, is it literal or is it symbolic? And also, is this river contained in a, in a riverbed, or does it kind of flow through the air? I mean, this is heaven, folks. Anything's possible. Throw away all your conceptions uh, of life right now and just open your mind up to the possibilities that, you know, this is going to be a radically different kind of existence. You know, I mean, why do rivers need riverbeds? Why can't they just kind of float through the air, right? Uh, we, we know that this is not ordinary water, okay? John says it is a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, which means absolutely free of any pollutants. We know that because it flows directly from the throne of God and from the Lamb, and there is no pollution, there is no, uh, you know, nothing in God except purity, absolute holiness, and so on. This river reminds us of what David wrote about in Psalm 46, verses 4 and 5, when he said, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Well, verse 2, In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life. Commentators have kind of wrestled over the exact meaning of this verse. Seems a little confusing, but uh, let me just say the Greek uh, is apparently saying this, that the river of life flows down the middle of Main Street in the New Jerusalem. And right in the midst of the river grows the tree of life, which is so big that its branches extend over to each side of the river, right through the middle of the city. Down Main Street flows this this river of living water, and then right in the midst of it, this gigantic tree of life that grows so high its branches come down on either side of the river. Uh, this is not the first time we are introduced or we read about the tree of life. We are first introduced to it in Genesis chapter 2, where it says in verse 9, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now we'll look more about the tree of life in a moment. We get to verse 14, but moving on, verse 2 goes on to say, This tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. First of all, we learn that the tree of life bears twelve fruits. This, I believe, is just meant to speak of the variety of food that's going to be in heaven. Now, you have to be careful here, okay? First of all, you'll find no reference to meat. The curse is lifted. Uh, originally, man and all animals were herbivores. Animals and mankind did not become meat eaters until after the fall. The curse is removed. And so, therefore, in heaven, we find that there's this tree brings forth different variety of fruit, one kind for every month, all right? And uh, we will eat of this fruit. You say, well, won't we have our glorified bodies? Why are we going to need to eat? You're not going to need to eat, but you will have the pleasure of eating if you choose to. And there will be pleasure associated with it, I'm convinced. And also, 
there's going to be for the purpose of fellowship. Remember now, after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he had his glorified body. He could eat, right? He ate with the disciples. They thought he was a ghost. He said, I'm not a ghost. You can feel me, touch me. Does a ghost have flesh and bone as you see I have? Uh, do you have any fish? Because in the, that culture, they believed that ghosts never ate. Ghosts couldn't eat. And he wanted to prove he was not a ghost or a spirit. And so he ate some, some food. And, and so, you know, it's not like we, we won't be able to eat in heaven. It's just that we won't have to eat. We won't eat out of hunger. We will eat out of the joy of just sitting down and sharing a meal with each other. Now, he goes on to say, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Actually, it's probably best translation is each branch, each branch yielding its fruit every month. Now, this has thrown people. And folks, I'm not going to tell you that I understand everything that John is describing here. I'm, I'm trying my best to give you what I think the Lord is really saying and what heaven is going to be like based on John's description. But I got news for you. I think when we get there, we're going to go, man, was Phil off. I mean, wow, this, man, I, it was, wow, this is so much more than he, in his befuddled way, described to us. But because of this, each branch yielding its fruit every month, People immediately say, wait a minute now, this is the eternal state. You just said we move from time into eternity. What do you mean each month? Well, there's two ways of looking at it. One commentator said the use of the term month does not refer to time. Since this is the eternal state and time is no more. It is an anthropomorphic expression of the joyous provision of eternity couched in the familiar terms of time, end quote. Is that clear now? As long as that's clear, we'll move on. You know what? I don't pretend to understand. I do know that we're in the eternal state. We've made the comment often that in the eternal state, we have moved from time into eternity. But see, we've never actually lived in the eternal state, have we? It could be that in the eternal state, the earth is going to rotate. There are, is going to be day and night. In the New Jerusalem, there will never be night because the glory of God lights up the city. That doesn't mean somewhere on the earth there's not going to be uh, day and night, you know, uh, and that we might not see day and night lead to weeks and months. And yet, if that happens, I don't believe it's going to be time as we know it. It may be days and weeks and months, and yet we never grow old. Uh, ne things never, you know, it's, it, it's always fresh. It's always new. It's like the first day. And so, you know, we're trying to understand with our finite minds what this is going to be like. We have no capacity right now to understand. This may be a hyperdimensional thing. Heaven might consist uh, in different dimensions all at the same time. How do you describe that? John's doing his best, all right? And so am I. But he goes on to say something else that has caused commentators fits. The leaves of the tree, the tree of life, were for the healing of the nations. Now people say, wait a minute, time out. Are you telling me there's going to be sickness in heaven? I mean, is that, what, is that what it's saying here? Well, the Greek word translated healing is therapia. We get our word therapeutic from that Greek word. And it's true in Greek that word could be translated healing. But it could also be translated life-giving or health-giving. In other words, it doesn't mean healing from sickness, but rather a maintaining of health. In fact, the original language also implies through this word uh, a, a level of exhilaration and invigoration. 
One commentator said, the leaves of the tree can be likened to supernatural vitamins. Since vitamins are taken not to treat illness, but to promote general health, life in heaven will be fully energized, rich, and exciting. Now, it doesn't actually say we eat these leaves, but it's implied, right? And I don't know if there's something about this tree that we're all going to just kind of, you know, as we're walking around and talking, picking the leaves off the tree of life and eating them, and this is going to promote just not only well-being and eternal health, but that sense of, you know, isn't it, won't it be nice to not feel tired anymore? I mean, won't that be great? I mean, think of the best time you've ever felt, like maybe you had a day, you know, where you just felt, oh, wow, I feel energetic. I feel, oh, I have a sense of well-being. Times that by a billion, times a billion, and that's every day for eternity. And so, you know, it's going to be pretty incredible existence. Well, verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. He said,